the first reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be, For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, Their righteousness endures forever. We're going to continue in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This evening we're just focusing really on those um, first four verses in 1 Corinthians 16, as Paul deals with the issue of giving. Um, But we'll be going into 2 Corinthians as well, where he picks up the same theme, um, speaking to the same church um, as we read there. As well, I guess money in uh, the life of uh, the Christian church hasn't always been managed well. Um, I'm sure we can perhaps all remember or think of um, some scandal where a church has been coerced into giving money or where money has been misused. 
Um, if you grew up in a church, then maybe like me, you grew up in a church which might be a little bit different to our church here, and Manuel, who did, did, and did things in different ways. I grew up in a wonderful part of the country, not north of here, the snowy, wet, cold wastelands of the north, Matthew. I grew up in Herefordshire, the beautiful, rolling countries where... Anyway, I won't go on about it too much. Um, And each Sunday, as I was there sitting with my parents in church, the offering plates would be passed around. And um, as we tried to sing a hymn, we would also juggle our notes and coins to simultaneously try and get something into the offering plate. Uh, My father was the treasurer, and so constantly a lot of my church life grew up with offerings and seeing my dad counting the money and sorting out the money and banking it and, and so on. So when we come to a passage like this, which Paul deals with giving, the question, I suppose, is how and what and when should this giving happen in the church? Paul sets out for us some principles here for our giving, um, which we're going to look at under... Uh, two headings, the first one a lot longer than the second one. Okay. And the first heading I want to think about is a giving church. God's principles for giving. Um, in this last chapter of Corinthians, Paul has come down from the great heights of that resurrection theme in chapter 15 and concerns himself with more earthly day-to-day matters of the church. He seems to bring us, doesn't he, quite abruptly from the future life to the present life. From the what will be and the glories of that uh, to the here and now, as he speaks about how the church should conduct itself in this area of giving. But of course, our hope in the resurrection, which we looked at, last week in chapter 15 is related to the here and now isn't it what we believe about eternity to come and our eternal hope will impact how we live out our lives as Christians today often don't we when we read in the epistles we we read of the teaching about the wonders of salvation, about the joy of our hope. We get all of that teaching, and then that's followed by, and now this is how you should live. That happens, doesn't it, often in the epistles. Brothers and sisters, if we truly believe in the chapter 15, resurrection glory to come, that our bodies will be transformed that we will live in perfect, sinless existence before our Saviour for eternity, then we should be concerned, shouldn't we, about laying up treasures in heaven. And it will impact how we think about the here and the now. So let's have a look at uh, these verses in a bit more detail. Um, First of all, in verse 1, Paul begins with these words. Uh, In our translation here, the word is now about, or it might be in your translation, now concerning. Paul uses this phrase 
as I've discovered this week, preparing five times in this book of 1 Corinthians. The first time to the Corinthian church he used it in this letter is um, chapter 7, verse 1, where he says, Now for the matters you wrote about, and that's about marriage. Later on in that chapter, now about virgins, about the unmarried. Chapter 8, he begins with now about food, sacrifice to idols. Chapter 12, now about the gifts of the Spirit. And then here in chapter 16, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Each one is a reply to a question that the Corinthians have asked Paul. That phrase, now about, he uses when he is answering the question that they have put to him. And it's the same here. They've obviously asked him about giving, about collection of uh, money in the church. And he says to them here that they should be doing nothing different to what he's told other churches to do. As he says down there in verse 1 again, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. This is about a collection that the Lord's people are taking. And we know from elsewhere that it's actually a special collection. In Romans 15, it says, Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. Paul is actually here talking about a collection of money that's going to be taken to Jerusalem. Because whether by, uh, well, some people think it might have been because of famine or because of persecution or because of both, the believers in Jerusalem were struggling financially. And so a collection was being taken here in Corinth, but also in the other churches that Paul planted, those missionary churches, or mission churches, if you like. A special collection, a special missionary gift. I suppose a bit like the one we've heard about tonight from Ed and Katie. A special missionary gift from the Gentile believers to the struggling Jewish believers, a sign of their unity in the gospel, a sign of their love for their fellow Believers. So this was relating to that special gift. However, I think even though Paul is talking about this special gift here, it gives us principles that we can use for how we approach giving more generally in our Christian churches, doesn't it? Yes, it applies to missionary giving, but I think it also applies to how we manage the giving in our church in general. So let's have a look. What does he say? Well, verse 2. We see Paul in this verse sets out God's principles. And the first one he says in verse 2, he says, on the first day of every week. The priority of giving. On the first day of every week. As this verse suggests, the church were meeting on the first day of every week. They were meeting on a Sunday. Chosen by the early Christians because the Lord's first appearance to his disciples was on the evening of the resurrection, the first day of the week, John 20. 
And then a week later, Jesus' next appearance to disciples on the first day of the week, showing himself to Thomas and the other disciples. Two appearances of our Lord on the Sunday, the first day of the week. And so the Christians have taken, the early Christians have taken this as the day of worship. This day when they will meet together. And this day of worship was, be to, was, be, was to be the day when they set aside to bring their gift. There, as Paul says here, their sum of money. I like the way that's phrased. It doesn't even say a gift. It's a sum of money. Let's just say what it is. It's a sum of money. When we're to bring it into the church. And I think there's possibly two significant things just to to bring out from that point. First of all, this giving was an act of worship on the Lord's day. It's interesting that Paul instructs the church to bring their gifts on the day of worship as part of their worship to God. Paul is not ashamed of bringing money on the Lord's day. For the Lord's work. He sees it as part of an important part of Christian worship. Um, I carried out a little bit of um, uh, a very unscientific survey this week. Um, so don't hold me to this. But I, I asked a few um, Christians, not in our church, a question. In fact, they were all members of my family. So it probably wasn't very scientific at all. The question was... Uh, could you name for me the main elements of worship when we gather on the Lord's Day? And they gave me some great answers. Very proud of my daughters and my son-in-law and my future son-in-law. Uh, these were their answers. Uh, reading the Bible, preaching, prayer, communion, singing, fellowship, service. No mention of giving. And if I'm honest, I think I would not have mentioned it either, would you? But it's interesting, again, in uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, in answer to the question about the fourth commandment, what is God's will for us, the uh, early Reformation churches wrote this. I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God, God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Now, Scripture, of course, is our final authority, isn't it? Not catechisms. But I think that's interesting, that the early Reformation churches, when they were seeking to define the main elements of Christian worship, included giving on the Lord's Day. So is that significant? Is that significant as we think about us and our practice and how we give to the Lord's work? As I thought about this, I wonder if currently in our evangelical churches we've lost the idea of giving being part of our regular act of worship when we gather together. Now, as I thought about our practice here, we, we often, don't we, give thanks to God for the gifts of his people that they brought for the Lord's work. But that tends to be at church meetings, doesn't it? 
And I wonder whether we should be doing that more regularly in our gatherings together on a Sunday. That our minds and our prayers should be including bringing our gifts to the Lord on his day. And I think what Paul says here also has implications for us personally. I wonder whether we individually have lost this importance of this spiritual act of giving to the Lord on his day. When was the last time you thought about that on the Lord's day? Or prayed about that on the Lord's day? Now, I guess for some of us, we will use the the offering box, which is at the back of the room here in the morning or the afternoon, to physically pop in our sum of money for the Lord's work on the Lord's day. But I also imagine that many of us will have set up a standing order. Now, Dave, don't worry, I'm not going to say anything wrong about standing orders, okay? Just put that in there because I don't want Dave to have a heart attack um, as the treasurer. But I guess for many of us, we will have done that. And straight from our bank account, straight to the church's bank account, goes the money. Without us having to think about it. Without us having to pray about it. Without us prayerfully thinking, what should I set aside for the Lord's work this month? Now, I'm not suggesting standing orders are a bad idea and a bad practice. Uh, In many ways, it follows what Paul is saying here, doesn't it? The principle of giving first to the Lord's work. And we can do that with a standing order. When we get our wages each month, we can give first through a standing order to the Lord's work. But I wonder, as I've been thinking about that this week, I've wondered, how could we keep this efficient way of sending money but also being more thoughtful and prayerful in this act of regular giving to the Lord's work. So I've got a few practical suggestions. You're probably going to not think these are great, and you might end up with doing something totally different, which is great, isn't it? But the the idea is, how can we thoughtfully, prayerfully, make this an act of our regular worship? So... One idea, rather than money just disappearing from our bank accounts without any thought, perhaps we could deliberately include it in our personal prayers to the Lord, perhaps in our devotions on a Sunday morning. Or maybe we can make a standing order of some or most of our giving and then also put some cash into the offering box just so that we are thinking about giving to the Lord's work on the Lord's day, and we're making it part of our act of worship. Or, perhaps this might work for you, you could set up a standing order for regular giving, uh, but also have a pot of money where you could set aside gifts for other things. And that money you could prayerfully think how you might use that for whatever needs the Lord lays upon your heart. Whatever and however we do it, I think Paul is here suggesting that giving should be a part of our 
regular worship as we meet together. The second thing that flows from this is that giving was to be first and regular, or as it says there, regular and first. Now, it probably goes without saying that the experience of most of the believers in Corinth would have been that their wages would have been paid weekly. And Paul instructs them here, doesn't he, that their giving should be regular, weekly, whenever they were paid. They were to give, not when the mood took them, and not just when their weekly income perhaps was a bit more than it usually is and it made it possible. They were to give on the first day. And this reflected, perhaps as well, doesn't it, the ancient Israelite tradition of giving the first tenth and offering the first fruits of all that they had. Giving first. The Corinthians' giving was to be first. The first thing that they used their money for. Out of their full wages, not at the end, when there might just be a little bit left over. Not as an afterthought, not as a tip, but when their money was full. Not just looking in their pockets to find the change that was left. It was to be first. And of course, it we said, for many of us, if we're waged, then we receive our wages on a monthly basis. So the principle is the same. The practice would be different, that our giving would be monthly rather than weekly. But the principle would be the same, to give to the Lord's work first, regularly from that full amount. So, the priority of giving. Secondly, in verse 2, the possibility of giving. He goes on to say, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. Each one of you. I think Paul makes it very clear here in verse 2 that this act of worship is for each one of you. Everyone was to be involved. It's inclusive. It's not exclusive. It's not just for the rich. It wasn't just for those who were in settled, permanent, full employment. But each one of you. So, does that include those at the beginning of the career? Those at the end of their career? Those who finished working? Those who haven't started working for paid employment? I know students do work, but you know what I mean. Is it to include each one of us? It would appear that Paul is encouraging anyone who receives money regularly to regularly set aside a sum of money. Retired people, students, unemployed, unwaged, teenagers, children. Returning back to my wonderful childhood in Herefordshire, just make that clear, um, I remember well as the offering plate came round sitting next to my mum. And of course, I didn't have any money on me. So what does she do? Out comes the purse, rummaging in the purse. Quick, hands me some money just in time for me to hand it onto the offering plate. Sometimes 
only just. Now, on one level, I understand exactly what my mum was doing. Her desire for me was that I would be included in that act of giving as part of the worship service, to give regularly. And she wanted to instill in me that discipline. But looking back, I wonder whether it would have been better for her to encourage me, once I was a Christian, to give out of my regular pocket money, whatever it was, so that the giving came from my heart's desire as a Christian to do that and to form that good habit. The possibility of giving, each one of you. And then the proportion of giving. Again, in verse 2, there's a lot in verse 2. And don't worry, we're not going to spend as much time on the other verses. Uh, The proportion of giving, verse 2. Set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Paul is encouraging the Corinthians, as we've seen, to give before all other expenses as an act of worship in which all of them are to be included. But how much? That's perhaps the big question, isn't it? How much to give? What amount is the right amount to give? To tithe or not to tithe? Is that the question? I think probably for some of us, we would have been happier if Paul had said, set aside a sum of money which is 10% of your income. Because then we wouldn't have had to think about it, would we? We'd have just done it. But he doesn't do that. He says, set aside an amount of money in keeping with your income. A tithe, 10% of our income, may be a far simpler way to calculate how much to give. But it takes out the need for us to think about it, doesn't it? And pray about it. It takes away the possibility of being generous. And also it doesn't reflect the reality of different people's situations. So, 10% when you have very little is actually a lot to give, isn't it? It leaves you with not much to live on. As we're reminded in 1 Timothy 5, it's vital that we provide for our own families. Otherwise, we're acting worse than an unbeliever. So we need to be mindful of that as well. Not just what we give, but providing for our families. But then, to give 10% when you have wealth is... Not to give very much, is it? You still will be able to meet all your obligations to your close family and your wider family, perhaps many times over. 10% of a little is a lot. 10% of a lot is a little. Just consider Jesus as he witnessed and remarked upon... um, that situation in the temple, standing near the place of offering in Mark 12. We read this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins 
worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. The rich were putting in large amounts, and the widow put in two small coins. But Jesus commended the widow's giving, not because the amount was large, but because it was large in proportion to what she had. In fact, it was everything. Paul doesn't set a percentage here, does he, for us to give. He's encouraging the believers in Corinth to do the same as in other churches, to think about their income and to give accordingly to that income. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul's desire is that we each make that decision personally before the Lord, that we're content with that decision. Yes, he encourages the church to give generously, but he also doesn't want them to feel any compulsion to give a certain amount, to do it reluctantly, but to do it cheerfully. From a cheerful heart. Next, verses 3 and 4. We've seen the uh, priority of giving, the possibility and the proportion of giving. And now, fourthly, the people caring for the gift. You see there in verse 3, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Paul now turns his attention away from the gift, so the when, the, the who, the what, and considers how the gifts in the church will be managed. Paul is very aware that those looking after the church's money should be people who are approved by the church. People chosen because of their trustworthy nature. As Timothy reminds us, the love of money, the desire for riches can be very real, can't it, for some people, and a great temptation. And so Paul wants to be sure that the people chosen are approved by the church and are trustworthy. He's very clear here in 1 Corinthians that that gift of money must be managed well by those chosen. He says a little bit more in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 19 and 21. Do turn there if you want to, but I think, yes, it's on the screen actually as well. So 2 Corinthians 8, verse 19, he says, what is more, uh, sorry, so he's beginning to, he starts off by talking about Titus, who's going to be taking this gift. What is more? He, Titus, was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. We are taking great pains to do what is right. 
not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Isn't that interesting? He wants to make sure that things are done right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but the eyes of men. Paul's thinking here about the possibility of criticism from those outside the church who might look on and find something wrong in the way that the church manages its finances. He's very clear that it should be done well, not only morally to the satisfaction of the church members, but also that it meets the best practice and standards of those outside the church. Paul doesn't want the reputation of the church to be brought low in the eyes of unbelievers because of mismanagement of the church's money. So it's important, isn't it, that not only those who look after the money in the church, trustworthy and a good character, but also these things are checked by those outside the church, by professionals who will look in and ensure that all that is done is above reproach. A giving church. Paul there in verses 1 to 4 speaks about how we should be giving as a church. But just as we close, before we leave this topic, I'd like us just to finish with a few moments thinking about our own motivation. Why do we give to the Lord's work? And our motivation, as says in the title, is because of our giving saviour, isn't it? Many people in the UK give regularly to charities. I was quite astounded by these figures this week. It's not just Christians who give, but the figures for 2022 show this. Nearly £13 billion were given to charities. 54% of the population in the UK give to charities. The average gift was £60. And the largest sector was animal welfare. So if you like those little puppies and those little kittens, then don't worry, they're being well looked after by the people of the UK. Um, but joking aside, a lot of people give a lot of money to a lot of charities in the UK. What's our motivation? Turn to 2 Corinthians and chapter 9 that uh, Sam read for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. Uh, there are some lovely outcomes from us giving that Paul mentions in this section. 2 Corinthians nine twelve says, This service that you perform is not only, one, supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions, thanks God, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves Two, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for the generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Three, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. What lovely outcomes 
When we give to the Lord's work, and specifically here, when we give and that giving goes to help other Christians, three things happen, Paul says. Of course, the giving supplies their need. Great. But they thank and praise God for the person who's given. And then their heartfelt prayers will be made for the giver. Their faith is increased and their prayers increase for the giver. Isn't that wonderful? But is that why we give? It's not, is it? We have a far greater reason why we give. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 and 9. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing with it, it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Why would we give? Why do we give to the Lord's work? Paul says there's no commandment here, but our motivation to give and to give generously comes from the overwhelming grace that God has shown to us in our Saviour. A Saviour who gave up the riches of heaven for me. A Saviour who became poor for my spiritual benefit. A Saviour who suffered the humiliation of living amongst sinners. A Saviour who was rejected by his own people. A Saviour who gave his all. A Saviour who became the sacrifice for our sin. Our motivation for giving as Paul reminds us there, is because he has given so much for us. He has loved us so greatly and he has put within us a spirit of love that we no longer merely think about our own interests, but his spirit within us causes us to think about others and to give to others to show love to others like he has shown to us. And so we should be a giving church because we have a giving saviour. A saviour who's loved us beyond measure is the motivation for us to give to him.